Good morning, and uh, my name is Paul Kinderdine. I'm, uh, as David just said, I'm one of the elders here at Heights Christian Church. Uh, before we get started, I thought I'd give you my bona fides of, as to my preaching abilities. So, about 20 years ago, <clears throat> small church, very similar situation. Pastor said, "Hey, Paul, I'm going to be out of town, and I think you're ready to preach. Would you mind covering for me?" And I'm like, "Yeah." Typical arrogant fashion. Anybody can do this, right? So, so uh, after about 20 minutes of preparation, I got up there, thought I could wing it. I lasted about seven minutes and, uh, and had the praise and worship team bail me out. So that was experience number one. About a little less than two years ago, I did the uh, sunrise service here for Heights. <clears throat> I, number one... I prepared for 14 hours, so I was not going to go short and, and, and blow chunks after seven minutes, but I thought it went pretty well. For the most part, I felt pretty good, and I wanted, uh, but I wanted good, honest criticism, and so uh, I called up Mike Hatchelis, and I trust Mike to give me an honest answer. He said, oh, what, Mike, how did I do? And he paused for a minute or two, and he says, uh, you know, Paul, you're just really lucky it wasn't cold this year. <laughs> so maybe 14 hours of preparation was a little too much. I don't know. And that's the extent of my uh, impressive resume. So you might be asking what qualifies you to be up here to preach, and, and my wife asks me that just about every day this week. So the reality of it is I'm a lay preacher, and, uh, and I hope that doesn't get in the way of, of what God's got to say. So... If you're new here, if you're visiting, uh, we welcome you. I welcome you. Uh, as David said earlier, uh, we do, uh, corporately, we go through the Bible every five years as a church. We're in our second rotation. End of our first year, I get the privilege of, of wrapping up this year in the book of Romans. Uh, <clears throat> Teaching's supposed to be Romans 12 through 16. We're not going to get anywhere near uh, chapter 16 because it's just way too much. So before I get started... Uh, please pray with me. Uh, Father God, I just thank you uh, so much uh, for giving me the privilege of uh, bringing your word. Uh, I, I pray that I can be humble. I don't insert my opinions. I don't interject what I think or what I feel, Lord, but I can deliver this um, in a way that brings you glory. Lord, your word is what pricks and changes our hearts and changes men. And I just thank you for it. And so, Lord, we just give this time to you. All righty. Let me... going to fumble through glasses off and on quite a bit. So the, today's... Uh, the title of the sermon is What Kind of Sacrifice Am I? All right. And uh, <clears throat> if we go back... If you, most of you that have been here, we started out uh, the year earlier in the year, we went through the book of Leviticus, went through several types of sacrifices in Leviticus, and uh, it all culminated with the Day of Atonement, the high priest offering a sacrifice of the, of the scapegoat to atone for all the sins of Israel. As we went on, as we, well, excuse me, in Psalm 51, though, David, when he was confronted with this horrible sin, he understood the sacrifice alone could not make him right with God. God himself, in Isaiah 1.11, how are we doing? I'm not even paying attention up there. In Isaiah 1.11, says, The multitudes of your sacrifices, what are they to me? I have more than enough burnt offerings. 
later in the, in the year when we went through the book of Hebrews, um, our studies in Hebrews shows that Jesus was the ultimate fulfillment of the sacrificial system. Hebrews 10.14 says this, For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Verse 18 he says, And where there has been forgiven, uh, or where these have been forgiven, excuse me, a sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Jesus, while hanging on the cross, said this. He said, it's finished. It's completed. It's done. So my question is, why is Paul bringing us back and asking us to sacrifice? If, if it's been completed, if, 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 uh, if the sacrificial system is complete, why, am I, why is Paul asking me to offer myself up, offer my body as a sacrifice? A couple things I'd like us to think about. There's a huge difference between the sacrifice that atones for sin. All right, let me, let me hop back to my notes here. <clears throat> the, the day of atonement and the sacrifice of Jesus, they deal with separation, a broken relationship with God that sin had destroyed. But ultimately, through the sacrifice of Jesus, that relationship has been forever restored. Paul is writing this letter to believers, and the sacrifice that he's referring to is a sacrifice that is given in the pursuit of relationship with Jesus. <clears throat> Salvation restores a broken relationship that never, again, that never again requires sacrifice, but an ongoing relationship with Jesus demands a sacrifice of ourself. Jesus, is, excuse me, <clears throat> Jesus himself said in Luke 9.23, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Notice Jesus didn't say, if you want to be saved, you must take up your cross, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. No, he said, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to have relationship, if you want to hang out with me, if you want to be with me, if you want that lifelong relationship, you must deny yourself and, and take up your cross daily. <clears throat> The, once again, the cross, uh, the cross that Jesus is referring to is, is our own death, giving up of ourselves. All right? <clears throat> Another distinction between the sacrifices for atonement for sin that Paul is referring to is that sacrifices for sin don't cost us anything. Even if we go back to the Levitical sacrifices... All the, the, the sacrifices that God asks of us or asks of the people at the time were just giving back to what he had already given them. He was just, he was just asking them that they give a portion what it, that they had already been blessed with. The sacrifice of Jesus cost me nothing. And so the only thing, uh, our only response is that we accept that we uh, reconciliation our only response is accepting that and believing that it's true but pursuing a post salvation relationship with Jesus costs us everything and even our bodies that's something i really thought about a lot is isn't the possession of our bodies the one thing that we cling to the most isn't it the one thing that we hold on to and demand the most hey these are my thoughts i have a right to think the way I think. I have a right to feel the way I feel. I have a right to go out and get a hamburger if I choose to. I don't care if it's healthy or not. I have a right to do this. You listen to even some of our social movements. My body, my choice. I mean, giving up of our bodies is a, is a big deal. 
And, and I think we need to make that distinction. And, but Jesus, or God, through Paul here, is saying, you know what? I'm asking you to do this. So <clears throat> let's go ahead and dive into our text. Romans 12.1. There we go. Therefore, I urge you, other translations, I beseech you, I implore you, I plead with you. Basically, Paul is saying, I beg you, and listen to me here, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. <clears throat> Paul again in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says it this way, do you not know that your own bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? You are not your own. This is strong stuff, people. I mean, these, when you listen to this language that Paul is saying here, this is something we need to pay attention to. This is something we need to listen to. We could probably spend several Sundays in this. But as, as Paul continues through chapters 12, 13, and 14, we're going to fly through it. And, and uh, because of time, we're not going to spend a whole, lot of, uh, a whole lot of time on these things. But one thing I want to emphasize here is I believe Paul is talking about this entire thing, 12, 13, 14, even a little bit of 15. This is about our relationship with God. This is, these are the things. God's not just asking us to sacrifice just for the heck of it. All right? God wants relationship with us. After this relationship has been, has been restored, all right? God wants to commune with us, and he wants relationships. So I want you to view what I'm reading to you as, you know what, this is God's desire, this is God's plan, this is his pathway to give us relationship with him. All right, so first, item number one. There's 13 characteristics that I'm going to go through here, 13 uh, examples of what it is to live a life uh, where we've offered ourselves truly as a sacrifice to the Lord. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, Romans 12.2 simply states, man, let me, let me not ad-lib here. I'll actually read the, read the scriptures here. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. Be transformed. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. In other words, give up your worldly thinking and your desires and change the way you think. But the other thing that's really cool about this is look at this incredible, uh, incredible promise. If we do that, it says we will be living the will of God. I mean, a, a couple simple things there. Give up the way, uh, give up your worldly thoughts, worldly practices. All right? Change the way you think. How many of you always sit here, we pray, Lord, I want to be in your will. I desire to know your will. I want to be a part of your will. It's something that we do constantly. It's a simple you know, if you want a formula, if you're a man like me, you want a formula, here it is. Here's your formula. You want to know that you're living in the will of God? Simple thing. You know what? I'm going to offer myself up as a sacrifice. I'm going to offer myself up as a sacrifice. I'm going to give up my, uh, my worldly desires, and I'm going to change the way I think. And then I'm living the will of God. Pretty simple thing. Moving on. <clears throat> uh, I don't, or excuse me, uh, number two. Chapter 12, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. In other words, you know what? Don't think that you're better than others, especially other believers. Honestly evaluate yourself. And so, listen to that. That's just good advice. That kind of makes sense. But the next question is why? All right? That gets answered in point number three, verses four through six. For just if each of us has one body with many, excuse me, 
with many members, and these members do not have all the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all of the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. Excuse me, with your faith. All right? So why? Why are we doing this? Okay, very simply. We're all members of the same body. Each member belongs to each other. We've all had different gifts from God. That's why I can't sit here and say, you know what, my gift is better than yours. That's why I can't go around saying, you know what, I think I'm a little bit better than yours. Paul here saying right here, you know, we are all equal. God has gifted us equally, and he's done that for one purpose. All right, so that we can become members of one body. Talk about that later. We've had some great experience with that lately. Point number three. We don't just belong, excuse me, let me me read the verses here, 4 through 6. Ah, I'm sorry, I'm losing track here. We don't just belong to God, we belong to the body of Christ. So, I should have said that first, forgive me. Verses 9 through 12, point number 4. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another, honor one another above yourself. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient and efficient, and faithful in prayer. All right? First simple point to take away from that, my love must be sincere. I can't just pretend. And if I do, and I think we've all been there, all right, then serving others just becomes work. It's a chore. All right. If, if I don't have sincere love, if that love isn't driven by everything that we've just been built upon, if my, that love isn't driven be, by me sacrificing to the Lord, wanting to serve the Lord, wanting to have relationship with the Lord, that love is useless. It's not real love. It becomes a chore. All right. To me, as we start getting deeper, these points start getting a little tougher. All right. Uh, point number five, starting in verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, right? But overcome evil with good. I ended, or I started with what Paul ended here for a purpose, because I, the, the purpose of this whole passage is to say that I should not become over, uh, be overcome by evil. So I'm going to back up now, and I'm going to back up to verses 17 through 19. Do not repay evil. So how do we do this? How do we not become overcome by evil? Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. When I do this, when I, when I say I'm not going to allow my life to be overcome by evil, when I go back and I practice that, I, I, I focus on loving my enemies, I, I, I work on everything that Paul just stated, what's the result? Not only do I overcome evil in my own life, all right, but by doing this, by being gracious, I don't, I don't show other people how gracious I am. I show them the grace of the Lord. You know, Paul ends uh, that thought by saying we, we are pouring or heaping coals at the, on, part, on top of their head. I believe that in doing this, it allows the Spirit of God to convict. 
my actions uh, and, and how I treat this and how I treat other people in these situations. We've all been wronged, right? There's nobody in this room can sit here and say that somebody hasn't hurt me, somebody hasn't wronged me. And how we respond to that, don't go around thinking I'm going to be the one saving them, I'm going to be the one fixing them by the way I'm acting. No, by the way I act, I'm allowing God to convict. I'm allowing God to change their hearts. <clears throat> and this one, I don't know about you all, but I'm not a big fan of the federal government. I'm not a big fan of the state government. I'm not a big fan of the city council. Sandoval County, not too bad. I don't like my ACC, my homeowners association. I'm not a big fan of authority. I, I mean, I really don't. So when I start getting into these things, these are a little bit tougher. So we move on to point six, all right? Chapter 13, verse 1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, excuse me, consequently, whoever rebels against that authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and therefore bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but only for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free and free from fear from authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. There's some very explicit language in there. I think Evan's back here. One time in our uh, in our home uh, our home group, we were going over these same verses, and I and I just threw it out there. Evan, do you think that that means that the American Revolution was a sin? Evan said, "Yeah." <laughs> said by that definition, the American Revolution was a sin. I'm I'm well. I just thought that was a great comment because it, this has some very strong language in it, and it's very definitive. If we keep going. 1 Peter 2, 13, excuse me, 2, verses 13 through 15 says very much the same thing. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority, for it is God's will that by doing so you silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Now that part I really like, all right? When I get into these worldly arguments with people and I think they're very foolish and I want to silence them, usually this isn't the way I do it. Isn't it? How, how great that God gives us an out. You know what? Do what's right. Respect authority, don't act like a, like a fool, and you silence foolish critics, all right? So that's one I can really, really take to heart and need to take to heart. Point number seven, uh, Romans 13, 8 through 10. Love this. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The com- and the commandments, you, or the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Right? My debt, and the only... Th- I'll, I'll ask another question. How many of you guys are like, I mean, Lord, Lord, I can never repay my debt. The things that you've done, everything that you've done for me in my life, I can never repay. God simply says, you know what? You want to repay my debt? Here it is. Lays it out very simply. This isn't about financial peace. I've heard some people preach on this about not having any debt. Our debt, not having any debt, the only obligation that God asks me is to love his people, to love one another. <clears throat> Uh, the other thing that's great about this is Jesus invites us to fulfill the law. Did you hear that? You're fulfilling the law. Have we all said we can never fulfill the law? 
right? Jesus is the only fulfillment. He's the, Jesus is the fulfillment of the law when it comes to grace, right? But this gives God is inviting us in to fulfill the law that sin has broken between mankind, between man and man. God allows us to participate by loving one another and fulfilling the law and fixing that. Point number eight, uh, verses 11 through 14. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over and the day is almost here. The point I want to make there is uh, we only have a finite of time to pursue this relationship, right? We can be saved, we can get our fire, uh, our fire insurance, and we can go on our merry way. But if we want to pursue a relationship with Jesus, if we want to be disciples, if we want to have communion with God post-salvation, there's only a limited amount of time to do it, right? So <clears throat> the other thing in this, and, and, and reading these verses, in pursuit of this, we must step out in the light. Let me find that verse, excuse me. Verse 12, the night is nearly over, the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of the light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not to, not in carousing and drunkenness, nor in sexual immorality, debauchery, nor in dissension and jealousy. Rather, close your, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about ways of uh, gratifying the desires of the flesh. So in this pursuit... I say we must step out in the light. Jesus already knows what we do in secret, right? You have nothing to hide from God. He knows every dark deed that you have, and we all have them. Right here, I believe Paul's saying step out in the light. God doesn't, doesn't expose us. He doesn't bring us into his light to shame us. We step out in the light so, so God can be glorified, so that he can change us. And it says we step out in the light and clothe ourselves with Jesus Christ. Amen? So what a, what a great thing to do. So, so remember that in this relationship, and I, and I think this is very important, especially for Christians. Don't think because you're a Christian you don't have secrets. You don't have secrets, right? And don't fool yourself in thinking that God doesn't know your secrets. And don't think if you're doing something in secret that it doesn't matter, right? God's just saying, get rid of it all. Step out of the darkness. Step into the light. Let me clothe you with light, right, into his glorious light. Okay, where are we at here? Point number nine, uh, chapter 14, verse one. Accept those who are weak in the faith without quarreling or dispute uh, over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only, and I better hurry up here, eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not be treated with contempt, and the one who does not eat anything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, the servant will stand and fall. Accept other believers who may be weaker. Quit arguing. All believers are God's servants, and who am I to criticize God's chosen servants? Through this, Paul gives us examples, this whole next section. Now, they're arguing about what we can eat, what we can't eat, and what days to worship. Right? I think we probably think that's pretty silly at this point in time. So if you choose to eat raw oysters, I might think you're very foolish, okay? But I don't know that that's sinful, right? I think it might be pretty disgusting. Or my good friend Mike showed up today. He, he goes to our men's Bible study, and I invited him to church today on Sunday. And, and he's like, that's cool. 
because I worship on Wednesday. You know, I could have said, you know what, what's wrong with you? Only real Christians worship on Sunday. So, I mean, these are just really simple examples of, you know what, it is foolish. It is foolish to argue about these things, all right? What I must do, if we go to point number 10, is I must live in a way that honors the Lord. Real quickly, i I got to pick up the pace here. Verse 8. <clears throat> if we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. So I must live in a way that honors God. I can I alone give an account of myself before God. I don't get to point the finger at anybody else. Pretty simple stuff. I must stop condemning others' behaviors and make sure that I'm living a life that will not cause others to stumble. Point 11, verses 17 through 18. <clears throat> For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, of righteousness, peace, joy, and the Holy Spirit, because anyone who serves Christ in this, in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let me slow down on that. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Okay? We all want God's approval. We all want to please the Lord. And we all want to please others. I mean, that's like a state of humanity. And it lays it out really quickly. If we serve Jesus with this attitude, we have a promise that we are leading a life that pleases him. And others will approve you too. So live a life of goodness, peace, and joy. Uh, Point number 12, verses 22 and 23. So whatever you believe about these things, keep them between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not contemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith and for everything that does not come from faith is sin. Verse 22 and 23, certain convictions are between you and God, right? Some people want to go to church on Wednesday. Some people want to go to church on Sundays. Basically right now, look, if God has convicted you of something, some people can drink wine for dinner, some people can't. I mean, and and we can go through a whole list of things. Basically, if God has convicted you of something, it doesn't matter what God has convicted Craig of. It doesn't matter what anybody else has been convicted of. If God has convicted me of something, I honor it. And if I don't, I'm sinning. And real simple point there. Finally, wrapping up this section, point 13. I didn't give it to you back there, so verse 15, 1 and 2, I'm going to ad-lib real quick. Live to please others. Okay? Be strong where others are weak. Build each other up and help others do what is right. All right. Real quickly there, live to please others. That's not being codependent. All right. Doesn't mean we just do whatever anybody wants. But again, in serving the Lord in this relationship, my my goal, my desires are to live to please others, to lift them up, to build them up. That's I'm not living more than anything. More than living to please others, I'm not living to please myself. That makes sense. This this was a lot to cover, and I appreciate it. And we're and we're kind of running out of time here. And this is some great stuff. And I think we could all aspire to live and to love, or that we would love to live a life this way, right? A life that really is completely sacrificed to Jesus. So the question is, why is this so hard? Right? I can agree this is hard. This or that I can agree that this is how I, I live, but I'm going to mess this up before I get home tonight. I mean, that's just the nature of life. So, am I giving you just another sermon on all the things that we should do, all the great things that we ought to be doing? Okay. 
and we constantly fail at. My hope is that I can give us some insight now on not how we're failing, but on how we can live this sacrificial life. Tell me how the Ten Commandments start. Anybody? Pretty close. How about, you shall have no other God before me? Fair enough, good enough. How about this one? I'm the Lord God Almighty. You better obey me. Right? Now, that's not how the Ten Commandments start. It says, I am the Lord your God who rescued you. I rescued you out of your bondage and out of your slavery in Egypt. God never puts anything, I don't believe that God ever puts anything before me where he doesn't first say, you know what, this is who I am. This is my nature. This is what I've done for you. And, and, and so before he even starts the Ten Commandments and the law, before he even gets into it, he reminds, he, he takes the time to remind the, the people of Israel, this is who I am. This is my nature. I delivered you. I'm the one who delivered you. I saved you from your, I gave you freedom. I saved you from your slavery. Real quickly, when you got a man, and I can't do it today, I don't have time. Go through the first few chapters of Exodus. Look at how many times where God says, you know what? I saw your misery. I wanted to deliver you. I heard your cries and and take out your yellow marker. And all of a sudden you start seeing the nature of this God who is incredibly in love with his people. And he, and he, and he, he wanted and desired so much to deliver them. And he, and he heard them. The other question I want to ask you is, <clears throat> how about the prodigal son? Is this a message about repentance? I think we would all say it is, correct? As a matter of fact, I've, I, I think one of my Bibles says prodigal son, message about repentance. The thing is, is what motivated the prodigal son? Was it because he was living a horrible life? Was it because he was living in a pigsty? It says this, when he came to his senses, look it up, when he came to his senses is when he recalled the nature of his father. Not the horrible state of his affairs. He came to his senses because of who the father was, because of the nature of his father, because his father loved him. That's what changed him. That's what motivated him to change. If we start back where we started, Sean, verse 12, or excuse me, chapter 12, verse 1. I left a few things out. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, other uh, versions, because of his love, because of his grace, because of all that he has done for you, because of this, and only because of that, in response to God's love, I am able to offer myself up as a living sacrifice. All right. If I wake up in the morning and say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do all these wonderful things, Lord, I'm going to offer myself up, I'm going to do all these things, because it's something I want to do, I will fail. Because my motivation has to be out of a response to God's love. I fail. We all fail because we do for ourselves. We, I don't know if it's self-righteousness. I don't know what it is. But you know what? If our motivation is not, I'm doing this because you love me, Lord, and, and only because you love me, I fail. Next, if we hop to verse t- uh, 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world or excuse me, to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I left that part out as well. <clears throat> if you go to the NLT, I really love the NLT's version of it, but let God transform you into a new, new person by changing the way you think. All right? Again, who transforms our mind? Can I get up in the morning and say, yeah, and I have done this thousands of times, I'm going to change the way I think today. I'm not going to think this. I'm not going to do this. I sit here and say, you know what? I, I have the ability to change my mind. The reality of it is I don't. I've tried. I've failed. 
And I think we all have. There's certain things we think about. There's certain things we wrestle with. There's certain rabbit holes we go down with our mind. I don't have the ability to change the way I think. All right? I don't. You say it's a cop-out. No. I, I believe that God is who gives me. God promises that he will give us the mind of Christ. Right? He gives me the mind of Christ. You guys understand that? So again, I'm definitely running out of time here. And, and I'm the one who harps on time. So I'm going to kind of start wrapping things up here a little bit. We're all good. We, I'll, I'll, I'll jump ahead a little bit, skip a little bit. I want to tell you a, bit, a, a story of my own personal life. God got me alone and truly alone with him 10 years ago, a little over 10 years ago. And I can honestly say I was alone with God. No family, no people, no friends, nothing. God got me alone rattled my cage and I was going over these very things a lot of these very things in my mind and I'm sitting here wrestling with God and I'm like you know what Lord you expect you you lay out all of these things that you uh, that you expect me to do I want to do these I desire to do these I want to live this way I want to have this kind of a life you know what's the deal right you know what's what's the deal why do I continue to struggle why do I continue to battle in these things and and I started thinking you know what lord if you've laid a life out for me that I can't live if you have expe- expectations of me that I can't fulfill that's cruel and that's messed up i mean i'm just being honest with you these are the conversations i was having with god and i wrestled with that for probably a day or two and i finally had to conclude you know what lord you're not cruel and you're not messed up and I started realizing another, during this exact same time, another voice, a verse that gets brought up here a lot. Uh, and I'm going to paraphrase. But Jesus and, and John says, uh, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Right? Jeremy quotes that verse a lot. And I'm sitting here thinking, you know what? I, I'm, not keeping, I'm not keeping your commandments. And I finally realized that it just went up like a light bulb. I'm sitting here trying to prove to God how much I love him. Once again, me, me, I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to prove, God, how much do I love you? I'm going to prove to you by keeping your commandments. And I realized at that moment, I'm not perfect at it, and I'm still working at it. Why don't I try learning how to love God? Why don't I try having a relationship with God? Why don't I invest all of the energies that I'm over here trying to do the rights and wrongs, the do's and don'ts, all right, trying to impress God, trying to impress others. Why don't I invest all of my energies, all of my hope, all of my faith in learning to love the Lord, right? One of the first things in doing that, though, I had to realize, you know what? I'm going to be honest before you, Lord. I confess that I don't know how to love you. I don't know how to do it, okay? First thing you said, and the first thing that really ties back to this verse is, you know what? You can't love me until you first understand how much I love you. It's an impossibility. There's no way I can learn to love the Lord until I first accept that he, that I, that he loves me. That involves trust, people. And that's so difficult. If you're honest with yourself, trusting in the Lord and really trusting in what he says, where Satan gets hold of your life, where he messes you up, is you don't believe what God says about you. You don't believe what God says about himself. You know what? You have to trust in the Lord. You have to trust that God loves you. And that's the basis of the beginning of that relationship. I think most of you guys understand, can't preach without crying at least once, right? I think most of you guys understand 
that Brenda and I have been tested. This very thing has been tested. Do I trust God? It's a choice. Number one, it's a choice. But how many of us say in these situations, God, you don't love me. Can you, how, can, how in the world do you love me by doing this, by doing X, Y, and Z, allowing X, Y, and Z? You want to know what? I learned through this that that is foolishness. This room was filled with people who loved me. The amount of love that God has shown me and my family over the last two or three weeks is phenomenal. Doesn't take away the hurt. Doesn't make the pain go away. But the reality of it is, is you know what? I don't have to ask God to prove to me. He loves me. He's loved me. Real quick example, and we're going to wrap this up. A week, maybe a week and a half before my son died. Brenda and I met a couple. And life story, very similar to ours. We hit it off. We talked. You know, they're about our age. He's a contractor, so on and so forth. The Saturday after Nathan died, we get a phone call. These two people that I have nothing in common, well, the one thing that we truly have in common was we discovered that we all love the Lord. And these two people that I've had no relationship with in my entire life call me up and spend a half hour on the phone with me, trying to comfort me. Then they hang up with me and call my wife. I can trust the Lord. Do you guys understand that? So I want to tell you this. If you, Sam, you back up here. You're ready. Let's fire this up. I, I want to invite you right now. All right? You know what? If you're struggling, if you want to be honest, you know what? I don't know how to love you, Lord. All right? I still struggle. I'm on that hamster wheel. I'm on that gerbil wheel. You know what? It's okay to say, Lord, I don't know how to love you. It's okay to say, you know what? I don't have all the answers, Lord. But you know what? How simple is this? I'm going to accept your love. All God requires of me is that I come and offer myself. That's all he requires of me. I can't do anything else. God is the one who consumes the sacrifice, correct? God is the one, Jesus Christ, our high priest, is the one who takes that nasty, ugly sacrifice and burns it up and turns it into this beautiful, pleasing aroma to the Lord. I can't do that. Quit fighting that. Don't do the things that you are not capable of doing. Don't do the things that God doesn't ask you to do. So if you're a Christian and you're struggling, I invite you to come up. Elders, come on up. The other ones that are here, come on up. And you know what? If you want to say, Lord, I want to learn how to love you again. I don't know how to do it. I'm struggling with these things. I want to have a relationship with you. Please, come on up. If you've never known this incredible grace that fixed this relationship that I'm talking about, gives you an opportunity to enter in that relationship, come on up as well. Any other needs that you might have? Elders are going to be up here. Come on up.